Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alstead, here with Keith Myers. We're here to talk Seahawks football. We've got a special guest today. Dan Viennes is back with us from the Emerald City Sportscast to join us to talk about some mini camp stuff, some talking points as it relates to the defense um, and the top five storylines that each of us have brought into the show uh, on the defensive side of the ball as we head into training camp. So we've got a lot to talk about. Not a lot of news going on this time of the year, but um, we'll, we'll do our best to, uh, to keep you informed and uh, to keep you entertained for the next hour or so. Keith, welcome in. Dan, thank you for, for coming in and being a guest again. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, this is definitely the the deadest part of the season, I would say, you know, right after the 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 mandatory mini camp and then before training camp starts, there's not a lot going on. And um it, it makes it a little more challenging to find things to talk about, but we can always find things to talk about. Always. So we're talking here about uh, storylines, and we should probably start with the biggest storyline at all, and that's that our two shows, um, Seahawks Playbook and, and yours, um, yes. Emerald City are going to be doing a live in-person event um, this coming July 19th um, at Ozzy's Tavern down in, in Queen Anne. And we're going to get together. It's going to be about three hours. Uh, we're going to be recording, but we're also going to be broadcasting live. And if you're listening to this, then you clearly like us and you clearly like the Seahawks. You should come down and join us. Yeah, and, a live uh, in-person uh, event. I mean, a crossover event. Yeah. Crossover and, event. And right. there'll be, there'll be um, some swag of some sort to, to give away some drink specials. And most importantly, you, you get to see us. I mean, well, you get to see Bill uh, and Dan and you unfortunately have to see me because I'll be We're going to keep but Keith behind a screen. That's that, that's probably better. Um, but yeah, so no, that that's what's, what's going down. So um, I just wanted to throw that up at the, the top of the show and um, I'm sure you'll hear us mention it at the end of the show too. It's going to yeah. be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. This was something that uh, it's been a couple of months now, I think, Bill, since you threw out the idea that you were traveling up uh, into our neck of the woods um, for the first time in a while. And and then this idea just kind of grew as we tossed it around amongst ourselves and really excited about the location. Aussies is a, a legendary place downtown, about a block away from what used to be Key Arena and now uh, soon to be reopened Climate Pledge Arena. And so it's got a long history of of uh, athletes hanging out there and celebrations after big wins and things of that nature. Um, it's a place that I used to manage uh, back in my GM days. Uh, the ownership group is really great. It's got kind of a sports bar feel. Um, we're going to be doing this during happy hour on a Monday. So no <laughs> excuse if you're within driving distance to not come down, uh, drink some, they have a great beer lineup down there, cocktail specials. Um, and like you said, some stuff to give away, which I don't know if we want to give all that away right now, but yeah, well, uh, we can build, we can build on it. We can yeah. build on it for a while. Just know yeah. we're going to give we'll some just, cool stuff away. We got some cool stuff. You got to be there in person to take advantage of that. I think we're going to raffle some stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, we created a great partnership and Dan uh, led the way on this, creating a great partnership with Aussies and, um, the, the management there. 
to, to have us in, give us a space, an opportunity uh, to partner with them. And uh, like uh, Dan said, it's a cross-platform uh, unique opportunity for us where we're going to live stream um, this event. We're going to have it recorded. Um, we're going to have special guests. We've already got some things locked in, uh, a few more uh, to go. It's essentially uh, a training camp preview show. Uh, so it's going to kind of kick off the official off-season um, as far as uh, building up to the regular season. So we're really excited to be able to get together and, um, and, and to have a fun show in person and to be able to have people come in in person and really kind of celebrate with us uh, getting back together again uh, as, as fans um, and uh, a, a good cause, obviously, uh, uh, to warm up the Seattle Seahawks and their training camp uh, 2021 debut. So we're looking forward to that. Speaking of getting back together as fans, um, Lumen Field will be at 100% capacity yeah. uh, this season. Um, that's fantastic news if you're, you're, you know, been missing out for a year when there was no, no, uh, no fans in the stands. But uh, how do you guys feel about that with the ongoing pandemic and everything having the place crowded? Here's how I feel about that. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's, it's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think there probably needs to be some safety protocols, but I think those safety protocols are way pared down compared to what they have been. I think uh, other um, leagues have shown that we can have fans in the stands without subjecting people to further infection rates in those uh, cities uh, that were tied to those events and so forth. So I think this can be done. I think it's necessary. I think that we need to kind of move forward in this and, and really kind of just get back to being normal and having fans and cheering and have something good to look forward to. Um, I think just the overall thing outweighs any, any negative thing at this point, especially with the, um, with the vaccination rates, I think that we're, we're building and we'll continue to build to that point in September um, where I think it's going to be pretty safe. Yep. Seattle has the highest vaccination vaccination rate of any city in the U S if anyone's should be at a hundred percent capacity, it should be Seattle. So, yeah. And even uh, King King County is one of the highest vaccinated counties in the country. And mm -hmm. um, it, it's, and the state as a whole is we're right on the verge of 70% with at least their first dose for the whole state, which is remarkable. So I do think obviously the more people you gather in any one spot, the higher the chances that there's going to be risk. Right. Um, and there's, uh, look, it's, it's funny. Well, funny is not the right word. It's remarkable how quickly everyone has started acting just like this thing is over when clearly it's not. And there's obviously still reason to be concerned and there's going to be risk. You know, we'll still probably be talking about this to some extent this time next year. Um, but but I think you you touched on it, Bill, and, and not to get political or anything, but I think we're at the point where anyone who wants a vaccine now can get one. Those who don't know the risks of not getting one. And so it's just time and, and they will be as safe as possible, although I find it interesting that in the Seahawks own press release within the same uh, two back to back paragraphs, one says that non-vaccinated fans will be required to wear masks at the games. The next one notes that the state's protocols uh, don't require any proof of vaccination. And so they're not going to ask for that. So basically going on the honor system here, but 
hopefully at the end of the day, you know, football fans for the most part will do the right thing. And here's my prediction though. Here's what excites me the most. I may get some flack for saying this because diehard Seahawks fans take offense to this. But the fact of the matter is that Lumen Field over the last five, six years has lost some of its edge and has lost some of its intensity. I think it's reflected in the team's home record. It's just not as loud as it used to be. I think people are more complacent. They're used to, they've gotten used to winning. Some people are, you know, we have a lot of people here that have come from other areas and moved here for the tech boom that aren't as emotionally invested. Uh, well, in let's, let's talk about, about let's talk but about But I think that, that's I, going to be back after it's been taken away from us for a year. Well, I think the importance, I think it, it does give you some grounding as far as having a, um, an appreciation, again, Absolutely. for being able to, to be together and to make noise. Um, but one thing that, that folks don't talk about a lot in relationship to crowd noise and so forth is the kind of people that have access to tickets mm -hmm. because they're so expensive. I was talking to somebody the other day about being a fan since the very beginning with the Seahawks. And that's why I'm a Seahawk fan and so forth. And uh, when we first started going to games, our, our ticket prices were $15 a ticket. And we had seventh row, 25-yard line behind the Seahawks bench. I mean, they were great oh, tickets. Yeah. Those are club seats now. In addition to having to pay a club fee uh, to get access to those tickets, you pay the, the, the face value on the ticket price. And then if, you're, if those seats are being sold on the secondary market, sometimes those things can be double for yeah. people wanting to just go to a game. And so um, the normal folks that really are into football, that love football, that would be there at any, any cost, there is a line for those folks as far as how much money they, could, they can afford to, to go to a game. And I think some of the folks that can't afford to go to the game are the same folks that, you know, tell people to, to sit down or, or be quiet or yeah. whatever, you know, so it's, it's tough. Yeah, I mean that that is the that is the thing with the Seahawks being as popular as they are, and the stadium being not one of the largest in the league, um, is that the prices have gone up, you know, considerably uh, over the last decade, and a lot of the of uh, you know those that go that are really loud and rowdy and and are great home fans have gotten priced out of going, and it's it's a it's a it's. It's a different crowd. Lumen Field has been gentrified. Well, especially with the, um, you know, the seats that are closer that where you yeah. make a bigger difference in terms of being loud. Um, a lot of those, those are really expensive seats now. And so like, I know when I go, um, I'm, I sit in the third, third level up in the three hundreds because I can afford to go more often if I do so. So um, just out of and, curiosity, what are those run right now? typically so my tickets are in section 326 so they're um they're in the 300 level uh in the in the corner over the seahawks tunnel uh, about about 10 rows up um if you if you can visualize the 300 level there's those first seven or eight rows below the concourse and then it goes up from there uh we're about five or six rows above that concourse so 10 12 rows up um and for the pair it's uh, 1900 bucks. So that's 80 something a game. Um, and they, you know, they go up a little bit each year and, and every year I will go through the relocation process just to see, you know, I like, 
certain things I like a certain aisle seat. It's got to be an aisle on the right side. So people aren't blocking your view as they walk. And every year I'll just go through that process to see if something else opens up that I might want to slide down into without paying too much more. And there's, there's just not a lot of flexibility there. So th that's the other part of this. It's not just that things are so expensive. People can't afford to go that might be diehard fans and add to the intensity, but it's so high priced that people that have long time season tickets are so enticed by being able to make more than they spent on those tickets. There's uh, there's two seats that are two rows right in front of my seats that for years, I don't know who owns them, but it must be a company or something because there's different people in those seats every single game. And not one time have I ever seen those people in those seats give a damn about the game. They're Snapchatting. They're there for the atmosphere. They're not there to cheer. They're not there for the game at all. So some of that is happening as well. And then there's just the complacency of being a winner for a long time. At one time, about seven or eight years ago, I had moved a little bit, 300 level seats, but right on the 50 yard line, about halfway up. Great. It was like you're watching the game on TV, but live. So those are good enough seats that everyone around me in that section um, had had them since the beginning. And none of them stood up. And if, if, if we stood up to cheer too long, they would tell you to sit down. And I kid you not, I went there before. You remember the New Orleans Saints wildcard game where Jimmy Graham from the Saints was getting into it with, was it Sherman or Chancellor before the game? You remember that one? They kind of met at the 50-yard line. They were jawing at each it other. It was Chancellor. That's the um, Who's Jimmy game, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not the Beastquake game, but it was that one. Yep. Uh, I arrived for that game, and it really pissed my ex-wife off at the time, one of the reasons she's probably an ex-wife. Uh, and I, I announced to the whole section, this is a playoff game, and I'm going to stand up. So, I would I mean, have done the same thing. This is a this is a layered argument, but yeah. I think now that that's been taken away, the appreciation of walking back into that stadium for the first time. I went to a Mariner game a couple weeks ago. I get goosebumps just thinking about it. I teared up. Um, I I think I think you're going to see a difference and hear a difference. I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, let's let's say let's give everybody. It's unfortunate the of that the we doubt. only get think... two home games in the first six, seven, yeah. the first eight weeks. It's, it's bad. It's, it's two Nuts. in the first six, three in the first eight. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very road early schedule, um, which of course means they have a lot of home games down the stretch, which is nice when you're making a playoff push, but it, it does, it, it's hard on the fans to not have games to go to when the weather's good. Um, and it's weird. It's just a weird schedule this year. How do you guys right. feel about that? Do you think it's, uh, it's a, you know, the Seahawks have been a good road team the last few years, but do you think they're kind of behind the eight ball to start the season that they're, that they're going to have to play catch up in the division? I don't like it because um, it pushes a lot of the games later in the year when the weather's not the best in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And so you see a lot of sloppy games in the wind and rain, and I'd rather see them play, you know, these home games earlier when the weather's nice and let them go play, you know, dome stadiums and, and ones down in the South and whatnot. Um, later in the year. So we get the fun of that too. And um, it just creates better football and it's more entertaining um, from a competitive standpoint. I don't think it matters. Um, do you want a lot of home games early and then, you know, you start off hot. Do you want them down the yeah. stretch? So you have an easier road once you get realize, you know, what's what you need in order to make the playoffs. I don't really think it matters, but I just like, I like seeing, you know, it's, it's to me, it's more fun to watch the football when, 
things are going right and it's not weather dictated. For sure. Yeah, I don't, you know, there's nothing really upfront about this schedule. In fact, the entire schedule, I know that uh, a lot of folks seem to be, and we and we can talk further about the schedule as, as time goes on. In fact, I think we'll talk about it when we get together for the live show as well. Um, there's nothing really intimidating about the schedule to me um, with the Colts, the Titans, the Vikings, the 49ers. Those are all solid teams that I think the Seahawks are, are, are equal or better at. And I, so I think, you know, if we don't split those games, I would be surprised. Um, the Rams are going to be tough. Steelers, eh, I think they're on the way down. Saints are going to be rebuilding. Uh, Jaguars, you know, yeah. get a chance to see a rookie quarterback. That, that's probably going to be pretty amazing. But yeah. um, other than that, the, and fun. the Packers, by then we're already in the middle of November. I, I, and and none of the teams. And then it turns. Yeah. And, yeah. And none of the teams that I mentioned are really going to scare anybody. The 49ers are going to be, I think, legit around a mediocre quarterback, no matter who does the quarterbacking this year. Um, and then the Rams uh, with Matthew Stafford, I think is probably the most legit team on our Ross, on our schedule. And that'll be, that'll be remains to be seen. I, well, and you I, know that Pete Carroll will find a way to make this a, a competitive advantage. Because uh, as, and we're starting to see it now as these preseason publications come out with their projections, we've seen some last place finishes oh, yeah. already from, from Athlon and some other publications of the Seahawks being the fourth best team in the NFC West. And maybe they take that schedule early on into their equation. So that's something that, you know, in that locker room, Pete Carroll's going to be talking about that. It's going to be a chip on that team's shoulder to come out and prove. Uh, you know, that they're not an also ran that they yeah. can, they can handle that schedule. I think, you know, I think it, it, it is going to be interesting this year, especially with yeah. Shane Waldron in, in that offense, that quick strike, quick hitting tempo up tempo. And that really kind of plays into the advantage that I think the Seahawks have a uh, teams aren't going to be able to, to see that, um, yeah. that, that offense uh, operate fully, you know, until the second or third game or so. So scouting it is going to be a little interesting. And yeah, then, you think about when the Seahawks opened against the Bengals in uh, Zach Taylor's first game and how vanilla they had to play that whole game on defense. It's one of the reasons it got kind of scary because they didn't know what to expect. I, I, the Colts are going to have a hard time mm -hmm. game planning for that Seahawks offense because they're not yeah. going to know what to expect. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I think we'll get out of the gate faster than some people think. I, I really do. I just feel that. It just feels that way to me right now. I could change, but... Any, any, we could, I mean, we could get into this, uh, and we will, but the whole like the CX being the fourth best team in, in this division, I <laughs> after think after winning it last year, yeah, it, that that doesn't make a lot of sense, but anyways, that that's that's for another show. Um, we're like 18 <laughs> minutes in, and we haven't hit our uh, our yeah. main segment, we haven't talked so. about a thing. Well, let's, so let's, let's, let's talk let's about go the main segment, <laughs> yeah, okay. So, the Seahawks, um, top five storylines on defense, of course, we just made up this topic because it's the off season and we can do whatever we want. Um, and so here we are each, each one of us kind of brought in some things that we think are, are uh, people are going to be looking at, um, to try to figure out, um, different scenarios on each one of these topics, I'm sure, uh, as far as which way it could go. Um, and so let's start with Dan. Um, we, you know, typically you know, there's really no numerical order, but let's start with, you know, your fifth, um, your fifth best top five storyline oh, okay. and bring that in and we'll talk about it and, and uh, we'll go from there. 
Way to put him on the spot, Bill. Yeah. Didn't, didn't even tell him we were going to start with him. Well, and the <laughs> fifth best. So let's see. This might actually be considered the the number one, but yeah. I'm going to say fifth because because I think funny. some of the indi- said the same thing last week. I think some of the individual <laughs> things might rank a little bit higher, but I think uh, at number five for me is uh, the revamp pass rush as a whole, and the fact that for the first time in four years, after four straight off seasons of talking about how they're going to uh, bolster the pass rush, they really went out. And, and made some tangible moves this offseason so that, uh, again, for the first time, I think, since 2015 or 16, on opening day, we're going to have, you know, two, three layers deep of a rotation up front that should be able to pressure the passer and make that defense uh, more effective. And that's something that's been a struggle out of the gate the last couple of years. And I'm really excited to see how it all fits together and how some of the young guys contribute to that, too. Yeah, that was definitely on my list. Um, in fact, I think it was probably number one. I, I, I have these in weird orders. So I, this was my kind of number one. And I, my header was, is this the best pass rushing group in the Pete Carroll era? Has a chance to be. It does yeah. have a chance. Let's rattle the names off really quick. Hold on, Keith. Let's rattle the names off quickly. Hold on. Wait. Uh, no, stop. Let me, let me list the names. So Alden Smith. We don't know yet. We, we've been reluctant to talk about Alden Smith for the most part this off season so far. Um, and, and, uh, Dan, you had mentioned uh, the possibility of maybe finding out a resolution in the next couple of weeks on Alden Smith. But if, if Alden Smith comes in and he, he even equals what he did for Dallas last year, that's, a, that's definitely a positive for that defense. Carlos Dunlap comes back. Terry Hyder. Terry Hyder's a great cleanup guy. He's not going to generate tons of pressure. He's going to generate enough pressure to kind of collapse the pocket, but he's a great, cleanup guy. Guy's going to be around that action all season long. Robert Kimdichie, it's, it's, you know, people are talking about him in, in mini camp as being a factor. Um, mm-hmm. He hasn't been a factor in his entire career yet, but maybe he needed to get to a low point in order to self-motivate, to get to this spot where he's going to take advantage. I don't know that. Pete doesn't well, know that for sure. Only Robert Kimdichie knows that, but if he, sure he is that to- player... He sure seems to recognize that this is his last chance because there's been a lot of of talk about him really wanted to, to make the most of this. He he uh, is in incredible shape. He's really working hard. He knows that if he you know bombs out here in Seattle, no one may give him another chance. Yeah. So he's um, he's finally putting in the effort to go with his physical skills, and I think only great things can happen when that happens because you. His talent is incredible, um, but has he? He's never put it together, and a lot of that's been his off-season work ethic and that those kind of things. So, so let me finish off this list really great. quick, and I'll come back to Kim Dichie just for a second. So, Daryl Taylor, we don't know. Nobody knows. Like what we've got in Daryl Taylor, you go back and watch some college tape, and you're like, wow, that guy, he could be Frank Clark. Like literally, yeah. that's what I think of when I watch him play. Um, Puna Ford. Puna Ford uh, got re-upped a little bit on a, on a two-year extension. Um, he's going to be back there. I think he's got an opportunity, depending on who's next to him there on that line, to have a stellar career-type year this year. Benson Mayoa, Alton Robinson, LJ Collier, Rasheem Green. Uh, it's deep. Like Some of those guys not, aren't going to make the team. Exactly. Not, not all of those guys yeah. are going to make this it, roster. It reminds me of, was it 2012 that the DB group was so great that everyone they released on the final cut got picked up and played significant roles for other teams? Like, 
it's that's such a deep it was 2013 thing. um yeah, yeah. in in 2013 you had guys like anton winfield who's a pro bowler yeah um who came over from the vikings not make the roster and mm-hmm. decide you know what i'm just gonna retire yeah. so well let's get back to robert Comdici and we can talk about the other guys too really quick in this in this group because i do believe that this and keith you might disagree but i believe that this is the best pass rushing group depth wise across the board both interior and 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 on the edges that this uh pete carroll has has had here in seattle and the it's potential added, is off the charts and the if, if she comes through uh, but that's all we have right now that's all we right. have. i don't that's, know how this group is going to really pan the, out the potential is there but you're discrediting the the 2013 2014 years where you have I'm not going to discredit those folks for doing what they did. I'm just saying this group has a potential to be better. Those guys came into those seasons as proven stars with Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill. And and the year before it was Chris Clemens in there with them. And just the rest of the guys on that, in that rotation, those were not only very good, you know, pro bowl level players, but they were proven um, assets this year. There's a lot of names, but most of them are unproven talent. How many sacks did we have that year? I have no idea. I bet you we had almost equal last year as we had that year. And this group has an opportunity and potential to even have a greater impact than last year's team. I think it's a deeper group. Yeah. I think I'm looking at the 2013 roster again and, and, you know, it was, it was richer at the top and you had Bennett and Averill who weren't even starters that year. You know, you're starting red Bryant at the base end spot and, and you had Clemens and Irvin. But then after that, I, I, I do think this is a much deeper group. Um, and, and it might have more upside. We're going to, we're going to find out. Which, which, which Dan, which player on that list do you think has the potential to have kind of a career year, all pro type? type year do you think there's any all pros in this list or do you think it's pro bowl caliber maybe i i think it's got to be dunlap because if if this group is as varied and as as um you know multi-talented and deep as we think it is and they rotate and keep these guys fresh um teams aren't going to be able to double team him if they can keep double teams off of dunlap i i could see you know kind of a not a last gasp i think he has a couple good years in him the way he takes care of his body but you know, he could have a 13, 14 sack season in him uh, if those other guys are doing wow. the job. Um, so, I think so that's the that one the guy case, that can break out. If that were the case, he would definitely have the largest impact of any player on this list. I think it are there, sets is up there that another way. player yeah. that could have a similar impact at all? Not in the numbers. I think Hyder can have that kind of impact just tangibly and just from a football sense. Uh, and like you said, doing the cleanup work. If Dunlap does draw some double teams, I think Hyder will benefit the most from that. Um, I, I think Dunlap's the only guy on that list, though, that can put up that's, those well, that's proven. numbers. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, Alden Smith and, and Kim Dichie and all who knows numbers. what we're going to get out of Taylor. Ford could have a career year and still only have five sacks. Um, Alton Taylor's Robinson. The guy, I, say, say, I think Taylor's the Alton guy. Don't don't sleep on Alton Robinson. He didn't he didn't get a lot of a lot of run last year as far as playing time, but when he did, he was really effective. Mm-hmm. He flashes so much on tape. Um, his his quickness at off the snap is incredible. This is a guy with with uh, limitless potential. He just really needs to put it together. But the flashes were there all season yeah. when he had a chance. Have you guys given up on Collier and Green? 
Not Collier. Um, not Collier. Um, Collier had a great year last year. He's not a pass rusher. He, no. I mean, he'll get some, but he's more of a cleanup guy. He is really strong at the point of attack. He's a run stuffer. He's a guy that's going to set the edge. He's a great five tech, um, but he's never going to be that dynamic pass rusher. And we knew that when he was drafted, he was never, that that isn't his skill set. He is more of a um, yeah. push guys, move the pocket, um, you know, just dominate the guy in front of him. But it doesn't mean he has the athleticism to get after the quarterback once he does that. Yeah, I'm 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 with Keith, and I think especially if they continue to give Collier snaps inside, um, that just enhances his value. So I don't think we've seen the best of LJ Collier uh, yet. I think we've seen what Rasheem Green is, and he's a guy that you know there's there's a there's a place for an NFL roster on an NFL roster for him. I just don't see the dynamic athletic traits. Do you think they I would risk? I don't the, see the upside. Do you think that they would release a young player like Rasheem Green? I think they would try like heck to get a late pick for him uh, if there was any interest. But, you know, I just, the more I see Rasheem Green, the more I feel like there's guys like that on the street every day. And I mean, out of this group, you could, he's the ultimate replacement level player. That's true. Ultimately you could see Green, Benson Mayo and Alden Smith get cut out of this group. You could see Kim DG obviously uh, get, get cut and they just go with guys they know. I do think they'll probably keep more quote unquote, you know, front seven defensive linemen than they typically do because we know they're going to play Taylor at linebacker some, we know they play that bear, the five man front more now. And so, you know, they could rob a linebacker spot on the roster to keep another uh, lineman. So mm-hmm. I think they'll find a way to keep all the guys they think can contribute. Ben, Ben Burkirvan better watch his back. <laughs> he's been, he's been paying people lately to get on some, uh, some starter lists. I hear. He was a big, yeah, he was a big topic of discussion before we hit the record button. He's currently listed as the starter at strong side linebacker on the ESPN and our lads depth charts for whatever that is worth. Yeah. Nice. It's not right. worth anything. Uh, <laughs> right. Keith, he had a um, really good preseason game last year in week four. Hey, um, that's so right. best player Actually, on the field. All what we've been talking about leads into my number five, which is um, Daryl Taylor at the uh, strong side linebacker. Uh, to me, you know, that's a huge development. Um, that right there is a lot of the reason why we see KJ Wright not on the roster right now mm-hmm. is they believe Daryl Taylor is the future at that position and that he's going to be. He must have had a crazy offseason. Really he's impressed. Gonna, he's going to be basically Bruce Irvin when, you know, during the, the 2013, 2014, 2015 years where he is out there doing his thing as an outside linebacker early you know, against the run and then comes up to defensive end and rushes the passer um, in the nickel. And uh, that development with him out there and, and just getting a chance to see what he can do and watch him move. Um, he's big for that position. Um, I mean, remember that Irvin was, was pretty small for a defensive end. That's part of the reason yeah. why they moved him back there. Um, but Taylor's big for that position, but he moves so well. Um, that just watching him develop and 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 get an opportunity to be that guy uh, is going to be a lot. It's going to be fun, but it's also going to be really important towards the um, you know kind of development of this defense and what it ends up looking like. Because I mean, there's been some staples, KJ Wright, uh, in that linebacker core that aren't there anymore, and yeah. they're asking Taylor to fill some really really big shoes. I can't wait to see him get turned loose. You know if. It- if everything they're saying is true and he's truly a hundred percent and all of the feedback 
from people who watched the rookie mini camp and the mandatory mini camp all seem to echo that because when I saw this guy on tape for the first time leading up to the draft of all these guys we're talking about on this roster, nobody can match his ability to bend and, mm -hmm. and lean and turn the corner and get around the edge. Uh, um, and, and so when he gets those opportunities, you know, he could, he could be exactly like Dur uh, Bruce Irvin was where, you know, whatever his snap percentage is, he could play 30% of the snaps and get eight, nine sacks because he's going to have opportunities on the, in, on those passing downs. And uh, he's not going to get a lot of the attention of the offense. So he, I can't wait to see. Yeah, no, he was number two on my list. Um, we're, we're thinking along the same exact lines. Um, the, the exciting thing for me um, is primarily to do with how this defense is, is being constructed right now to improve its strength and its quickness. Um, we're just adding a lot of team speed right now uh, to the linebackers. You look at Brooks, Daryl Taylor back there. AJ Wright wasn't the fastest guy in the world, but he was the most instinctive linebacker mm. I've seen play in a long time. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to miss that, but I think we're going to make up for it on team speed. You know, Daryl Taylor didn't get a chance to play last year, but he did get a chance to spend the entire season on, you know, in, in the building and learning. And then this year in the off season, he must've done just a tremendous job to basically convince Pete that he was the guy because, yeah. um, normally you would bring a guy like KJ Wright in no problem, especially now given the fact that KJ Wright's going to be available at two and a half, $3 million for a season, there would be no reason why you wouldn't do that unless yeah. you were satisfied with your roster. And uh, to see that this early in the off season is pretty remarkable. Not just the speed, but the versatility. I, I there's so many different guys in that secondary too, that can play different positions and, and, uh, and gives, you know, the, the team an opportunity to show different looks. Um, it, it, I feel like this is kind of, it took three years to get there, but they've, they've made up a lot of ground and they finally put a defensive roster together that matches up with the offenses in the division better. A couple of years so ago, the Rams and 49ers were running circles around us because we couldn't match up. And now I feel like we have, well, let's talk about that for just a, a, a second, Dan. Um, this team went into the 2018 season with a, idea that it needed to be rebuilt at least on the defensive side the offense needed to be tweaked we've done that and and we did that all along that's why we kept winning and and russell wilson showed that he, his floor is nine wins i mean that's basically the floor yeah. the the defense that was lagging behind and i still think we'll have to take it we'll talk about this cornerback group i think is part of this discussion um but the the defense needed some time. I thought it would come together last year, and it just was just short. And especially the beginning of the year was just it awful. It did at the end. The end of the year. The end did, which gives me a lot of hope. Fell. Yeah. So you know the the aspect that that they went through this kind of rebuild, retooling, whatever you want to call it, I think has finally accumulated into this roster. And um, I think you're right on that point. I so, mean, even to the point that Pete Carroll is is open to smaller cornerbacks now, because when you look around the division, uh, I think we talked about this a little bit the last time I was on, you know, that they're more and more the receivers they have to worry about when they're game planning for the Rams and the 49ers and even the Cardinals now with what they did in the draft this year. They're smaller, quicker, shiftier, crossing route type receivers. And now they've they've built a secondary that's a little bit 
more uh, kind of reflects that, I guess. So I'll stay on semi topic of, um, of choosing a player to talk about um, that, that I think is going to have an impact on this defense. And that's Marquise Blair. Um, Mm -hmm. It's my, my headline was Marquise Blair versus Ugo Amadi. And both have shown that they could be very capable in this role as, as kind of a nickel corner slot corner, you know, whatever you want to call it. But Marquise Blair just has so much more upside has so much more potential. You talked about versatility um, to be able to play multiple roles in the kind of a Jamal Adams sort of way. Only I believe that Marquise Blair is, is a way better cover guy. So I think in, if I remember correctly, um, when, when Marquis Blair came out of college that year, he was ranked second in the PAC 12 in coverage grade. And people don't think about him in that way. They think of him as this physical thumper guy who's kind of an enforcer and he is that, but he's also got this great cover ability as well. And that's why he's being asked to, to, to play in a slot spot, even though he's kind of a bigger guy. So um, that's, that's a storyline for me to watch that I'm really excited about seeing him come together in training camp. I hope it, he stays healthy. And I think he have a huge impact on the, on the roster this year. I haven't seen any updates on him lately. Was, did he do any on-field work? Uh, they kept, the him, they kept him back, but it was only precautionary. There was nothing that would have kept him away from the field had it been more important. Because they're talking be about him like he might be ready to go at the start of the season. Which is he's ready to go right now, according to Pete, but he, they're just taking their time with how him. far has the ACL process come? It's crazy, but he did get earned, uh, you know, injured towards the beginning of the year early, last year. Yeah. Yeah. First Third game, game, I think week, week two, was it? It was early. Oh, it might've yeah. been week two. Um, but yeah, it, it was same game. Irvin got hurt in. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He'll be fun to watch, fun to watch. And Amadi, I felt like really kind of, you know, you mentioned him found his footing last year and, and uh, he just seems to be a guy that can make plays and he's around the ball a lot. And, Great special teams player too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of the bigger things, like when you, you say it's one versus the other is they're very different kind of players. They are totally Marty is, different. is much smaller. He's quicker in short, you know, in, um, in short space. Uh, whereas, you know, Blair is a, is a bigger guy and, um, hits a little harder. He matches up much better against uh, tight ends and and that kind of stuff. So they have. I have noticed a have lot of that. Roles. What you're saying, yeah, I've noticed that across the the roster quite a bit. As far as Pete's got an opportunity now, where his toolbox is a little fuller this year, where he's got specific tools to pull out of the box in specific situations that he didn't have before. You talked about the diversity, Dan. That's kind of what I'm talking about where yeah. guys can play different roles de- depending on matchups in different situations. Uh, I think that really helps. You know, who would love to coach this defensive roster is Bill Belichick because it, it <laughs> truly is. It truly is built to be able to switch week to week game plan wise, depending on if you're playing a power team or a gap team or a zone team or a passing team or spread team, they really check all those boxes, managing all of that. And juggling all of that will obviously, you know, kind of determine how successful this this team is, and hopefully, what we saw in the second half last year. Because I feel like they finally, they finally wrapped their head around that fact and how to do that—that that you can't just play vanilla. 
and and they just didn't have the talent level to do what they did in 2013 and play base all the time and match up with teams. Uh, if they can carry that mindset into this year and get the most out of this roster, I think, you know, the focus has been on the offense this off season for some, you know, obvious reasons. This defense could carry this team. You talk about tough schedule to begin with going out and, and limiting teams and slowing teams down and playing good, solid defense for those first six weeks will go a long way towards help achieving that. Can I talk about my, my second topic? Um, Cause I, it, it kind of leads right into that conversation. We love segues, which is Jamal Adams contract extension yeah. talk. Yep. That's my number um, three. That's a yeah. player right there that you didn't say out loud, but I think that he was in your mind when you said what you said, because this is a player that, allows the defense to play in that way that that he covers so much ground and covers so many different um jobs on the defense that pete can you know or, or ken norton can plug him in almost anywhere and allows other players then to come in and it, it gives seattle the best opportunity to put the best 11 on the field and so my question is Jamal Adams contract extension. Is it going to get done? Is it this distraction? Is it worth it? Like he looks like he's probably going to make close to 17 and 40 plus million guaranteed. Yeah. Uh, is that player a, a tilt the field kind of player worth it in this defense? I think so. I mean, it, okay. It comes down to, you know, this whole topic with, um, with what Dan was saying if this defense defensive coaching staff embraces the versatility and the matchup potential of all of these players, then absolutely he's worth it. Pay him, get him in there before the first day of camp and, and just make it happen. If they're going to be stubborn and play a lot of bass and be more vanilla and all of that, um, then no, because you're basically wasting his biggest asset is the fact that he can play almost any position except for defensive tackle. Um, he could so probably move, play that too. He probably could. Put him at three technique. And, uh, and let him turn him loose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like you, 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 he can be anywhere. He makes the, the entire defense unpredictable, makes it really hard on, on opposing offenses and quarterbacks and all that kind of stuff. But if you're not going to use him it like that, then why did you trade for him? You know what I mean? So uh, he's a guy that, that you have to know last year they did, they blitzed him a lot, but they blitzed him. They didn't just like, okay, you're at strong safety. We're just going to, you know, blitz you up the middle. They moved him around. They blitzed him from different angles. They had him line up like he was going to cover the slot and blitz. They had him line up like he was playing middle linebacker a couple of times and, and blitz from the middle. Um, they, they didn't just, you know, it wasn't, ver these weren't vanilla blitzes either. So I have faith that they're going to continue to use him the way they did in the second half of the year. Um, but man, it goes against everything we've seen from Pete Carroll and that defense from 2010 through week seven of last year, um, where they just, he just, they weren't that kind of, of team uh, mm -hmm. defensively. And then, but the second half of last year, they were, so we'll see, we'll see what we get. Um, I'm, I'm very interested. That's why it's, that's on my list as well as one contract. Can we, can they get, make him happy and get him in so they can get, um, you know, hundred percent effectiveness out of him. And two, how are they going to use him? Cause that's, it, it's fascinating to me when you've got a player like that 
um, what you can do with them. You can do so much. Well, can you imagine him and Marquise Blair on the field together along yes, with, you I know, can. Alton Robinson and, and uh, Daryl Taylor and Alton Smith. I mean, they have so many options in the box mm-hmm. um, to be able to play the run, defend the run, create pressure, make sure nothing gets outside uh, around the, the edges and around the corners. This defense could be, um, could be very interesting here. I, I, it's one of those things that I think nobody's talking about it. Nobody's saying that Seattle could be a top five defense. You, they no, fact, played like fans, it at the end of last year, but yeah. I'm telling you, this defense on paper has the potential, the way Keith talked about it, uh, where the coaching staff could match up, you know, players against teams in specific situations where the best players are on the field at the time. This team could, and if they put it all together out of training camp quickly, this team could have potential to be top five defense, I think. And they should come out of training camp playing well because most of the core of that defense that finished last season so strong is intact. And uh, it is funny you mention that because I think fans outside of the Seattle area, uh, from what I see online, are still under the impression the Seahawks defense is terrible uh, and that they, quote unquote, didn't do anything to upgrade it in the offseason, which couldn't be further from the truth. I had the Jamal Adams thing as my number one storyline on defense, however you want to frame it. The contract issue... I've kind of evolved in, in my thinking about this. I don't care what a player's paid. I trust that front office and that, uh, and, and, uh, Matt Thomas and those guys that do the cap stuff for them to work all that out. And they've positioned themselves now long-term by saving some money, uh, kind of up front, having some young players and their secondary, um, you know, about the time that you would need to pay some other guys, Bobby Wagner's getting to the end of his deal. I'm not worried about the dollar figure. I worry more about his durability. Uh, the way he plays, uh, and then coming off the That's multiple legitimate. surgeries this offseason, can he stay on the field? Because if he can, I think the the moment they traded for him, and I've got some insight into this, they they knew they were going to have to pay him this deal, and they and they they paid the freight to get him from the Jets, knowing they were going to extend it. I think it'll get done. I think it'll get done in the next couple of weeks. The the question is, can he be on the field for sixteen games, and then how do they use him if he's healthy? It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think when they were blitzing him all the time, it was out of necessity. Um, they needed that from him. Uh, second half of the season, they did more kind of fake blitzing with him, dropping him back into coverage. And I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap in coverage because the second half of that season last year, you know, I feel like I saw him in, in position to make plays a lot of times. But when both your shoulders are broken and most of your fingers are broken, kind of hard to get around on a ball and get your hands up and, and make a play on a ball. So um, if he's healthy and can be durable, I think he'll be worth whatever they pay him. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. The durability concern is, I mean, it's a thing, but um, he's young. He's really young. He's going to be 25 this year. And so, he's shown that he can play hurt. I mean, yeah. this guy doesn't, you, you have not to drag him off he, the field. He's yeah. He, that's the thing. It's not just that he can, it's that he does. Yeah. Um, and you have to tell him he can't play and he's going to be mad at you. You have to take his helmet um, away. <laughs> um, he's yeah. He's going to be mad because and his shoulder pad. Play. And- um, even if like, you know, he can't move his arm or completely falls off. He's still going to, you know, um, try and get himself out there on the field. He's uh, the guy he the game. That's, that's he's the guy in Monty Python. Yep. The black guy the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps getting arms and legs cut off. He's like, 
No problem here. It's just a flesh wound. I can uh, still play. Flesh wound. <laughs> that's actually what I was thinking when I said yeah. his heart fell off. Um, and I'm like, okay, that that that's that may be a reference that people aren't going to get. Um, but then, thanks for you know throwing it out there, anyways. Uh, <laughs> All right, who's got another one? Uh, I I I got one. Um, I nobody's talking about Akella Witherspoon, mm-hmm. and and I think he plays an important position because. If if DJ Reed goes out and repeats what he did last year and shows it's not a fluke and teams, now that they have a chance to scheme for him, can't pick on him because of his height, and, and he holds down that right cornerback spot, if the left cornerback spot struggles, if, if it's a, a significant step down from Shaq Griffin, then no matter how good the rest of that defense is, that's going to be something these offenses in this division can pick on. Um, all indications are people are raving about how he's looked in these camps. He knows the scheme. He knows the technique. He knows the footwork. Um, he had some cleanup procedures this offseason, but it sounds like he'll be healthy. Uh, Richard Sherman himself raves about this guy's ceiling, uh, and we know that the Seahawks liked him in the draft when he came out so much so that if he had been on the board instead of Griffin, they may have gone with him. He's got to at least be solid, mm-hmm. right? But he has a chance, I think, to be more than that. He's got the right mentality. He said the other day he thought when he was healthy he was the best corner in the league. I don't know if that's crazy talk or if i admire that um we'll see i guess but but that's a key spot man he's got to play he's got to play well he doesn't have to be a pro bowler you know this this pass rush is going to give uh those dbs opportunities to make some plays they're not going to have to cover for long um that's a great point he's got to be solid yeah and and corner is actually the the number one storyline on my list because i think this number two on mine it's really good everywhere else. Uh, and mm-hmm. corner is the biggest question mark. Now, DJ Reed showed a lot last year that he can be a guy, but he needs to, you know, he was, he's an undrafted guy. He was, a, they picked him up off waivers. Now granted, they, he was only available on waivers because 49ers tried to force him through when he was hurt. Um, mm-hmm. But still uh, they picked him up off waivers. And so he's a guy that I, I think has a lot to prove that, that it wasn't a fluke that, that he can if do it. DJ Reed um, goes down though. We're probably looking at starting a rookie at, at his spot. Or um that's or possible. Back to flowers, yeah. Or or back to flowers or um Ugo Amadi taking over. Yeah. Um as the guy out on the outside, knowing that he, they don't have to play him at, so Keith, at, in the nickel. So Keith, you're looking at, you know, either Akella Witherspoon, Pierre Desir, Trey Brown, or Trey Flowers mm-hmm. opposite DJ Reed. What kind of storyline? So when you talk about you know, the cornerback position as being the storyline. What is it that you're seeing uh, emerge? I mean, it, it, who who wins who wins the starting job? No, I agree. I think it's Witherspoon. I think I think he already has the job, and it's his to lose. Um, but how does the you know where's how's the nickel rotation go with Amadi and Blair? Um, does Blair end up on the outside? Because that's that's a that's a probability or possibility. Um, and just what's the depth look like? I, I read a couple pieces this last week about, you know, basically don't sleep on, on Trey Flowers, that that Pete still mm-hmm. loves him and thinks that he's ready to turn the corner and, get, you know, and and really be an impact player. He's got 40 starts in the NFL. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see if that if that manifests or if he's still the same old Trey Flowers. Um, but I just think that if there's a weakness on this defense, it's corner. And so mm-hmm. just watching them and seeing where they're at and how good they can be 
or how good they're not and what a weakness it is. Like to me, that is that is the biggest uh, question mark on this entire defense. And therefore it is the most important thing for me to watch in training camp. Do you think that they need to just hold their own considering the talent levels um, from the, from the, you know, the trenches back or do they need to really outperform the expectation level in order for the Seahawks to, to have a legit chance at a championship level roster this year? Oh, I'm the, the offense and the rest of the defense are so good that I don't, I, they don't have to be, you know, uh, in his prime Richard Sherman, um, you know, that, you know, like the 2013, 2014, you know, cornerbacks back there. Um, but they've got to be good. They've, they, they've got to be better than flowers has been when he's been the starter. Um, they've got to be more consistent than Shaq Griffin was. Um, Shaq Griffin has all the talent in the world. And I think he's going to be really good for Jacksonville but he was really inconsistent. He got beat over the top too much mm-hmm. and um, they can't do that. If they give up some, some underneath stuff and come up and make the, come up and make the tackle, which is kind of Pete's philosophy. They'll be how, fine. How much but, of that was on Diggs last year? I don't know. That's the, that's the thing is, was it on Diggs or was it on Griffin? Um, and was, was, my question is kind of misleading in a sense in that I thought Jamal Adams had something to do with that a little bit as well in that, Jamal Adams played out of a, out of a traditional strong safety position many times, um, lined up at strong side linebacker lined up, you know, all over the place. Right. And, and Diggs is getting used to that throughout this process and hedging slightly. And I think exposing Griffin more so. Well, and it might've, it might've, it might've just been because, of the two cornerbacks that he had, Griffin was the better one and the, and the more talented by a pretty wide margin. And so he was hedging in the opposite direction and going, you know, looking at the other side and saying, I need to take a few steps in that direction. And it does leave that corner, um, you know, behind Griffin exposed a little bit more because he's trying to protect the other side. Uh, but Griffin's also got to know not to get beat over the top there. Yeah, um, and Griffin... The- that's Griffin, the thing I'm looking forward to the most as far as improvement this year. Yeah. Griffin, Griffin was biting at some stuff underneath. He was uh, rotating off his guy um, and then trying to recover. He was doing some things that you don't want to, you don't want your corners to do it in, in the way that Seattle plays defense. Um, Richard Sherman used to do the same thing, but Sherman, his instincts were better and he was better. Um, he would like Sherman would do things where he would like make it look like he was, rotating off a guy but not he was basically baiting the quarterback to throw it so that he could go intercept it um and griffin looked like he was trying to do that but just didn't have didn't have the skills to go make it happen and so it was creating problems i was gonna say that i like akella witherspoon in this defense but then i thought about it and i was like well he played in san francisco's defense and and he was what he was as far as you know, being injured now and inconsistent. He was, yeah. yeah. So what do you expect from Witherspoon that's different? Um, I just expect him, I think he's going to be, he may not be, he doesn't have as high of a ceiling, but I think he's going to be more consistent. Um, He's not going to. And Flowers? Or or Flowers and Griffin? Than than either Either, of them. He's going to be better than Flowers and more consistent than Griffin. Um, I think one thing that's going to be key for the for this secondary in the corners is because of what we talked about 
up front. And we've talked about what we expect to be, and I'd, I'd be shocked if we're wrong. We expect to be a very consistent and productive pass rush, if not a dynamic pass rush. There are going to be opportunities to make plays. And these this corner group over the last few years hasn't made a lot of plays, hasn't got their hands on a lot of balls. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we're not used to seeing from a Pete Carroll defense. I think the key, maybe the key for this defense on how successful and how far they can go this year is, is can they take advantage of those opportunities? There's going to be some hurried passes. There's going to be some rushed throws. There's going to be some tipped balls. And a lot of those last year would either be dropped. I remember a couple of pick sixes in, in particular. One, in one game, Amadi and Adams both dropped pick sixes. I think it was the Jets game, wasn't it? And uh, a lot of balls would be tipped. It would fall to the turf. If they can be playmakers, not necessarily shut down shadow step-for-step -step corners, but playmakers as well, I think that's what could really put this defense over the top. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. be one of those teams. One of the areas, and this isn't on my list, but one of the areas we haven't talked about, and Keith, I don't think you and I have talked about this in, in months, is the defense's ability to stop the run. And, and wondering how, what you guys feel like is emerging this year on this roster in order to be able to make that happen. Because that is definitely one of the pillars of a Pete Carroll defense. And I just don't hear anybody talking about it at all. We've got Woods that we brought in, mm -hmm. you know, we've got Puna Ford who's, who's pretty decent at that, but he's not spectacular. Um, and, and then after that, we've got some edge guys that kind of come in once in a while setting the edge, you know, whether it's Collier out there, Hyder now, um, do we have enough in order to really be a lockdown defense I'm when not, we need to be? I'm not concerned in the least bit for, for three different reasons. Um, one would be that, in today's NFL, being able to stop the run um, doesn't correlate to winning. Um, it's pretty much a non-factor. Uh, Why is it, it so important? Is that, is that because Pete? nobody's running? Well, which, because <laughs> teams are running less, but <laughs> right. but also because you know the teams that being able to throw the ball, it, it's such you get so much more efficiency out of any pass than you do out of any run attempt. So. It just has a, a much bigger influence. So for the for starters, I'm I'm not concerned about it for that reason too. Um, I'm not concerned about it because I look at Seattle's offense and I go, teams are going to be worried about having to put up thirty to thirty five points in order to beat Seattle. You're not going to put up thirty five points point, um, in any NFL game running the ball a lot. Um, so not only is it you know they're not going to have to do it against Seattle, um, and it's not efficient even if they do. Um, and then the last thing is, is I look at, I, I think the overall talent, I mean, you've got, uh, you still got Bobby Wagner in the middle. You got Daryl Taylor who can set it, who will be able to set the edge on one side and a, a Collier um, who will set the edge on the other. Dunlap's better against the run than people, um, I think, understand and believe he's, yeah. he's good against it as a, as far as defensive ends go. Um, Monet and Woods up the middle along with Ford. That's a great um group of run stuffers in the middle. I, I just think that overall you've got run stuffing talent. Even Hyder, um, like his hand usage, he's great at keeping guys oh, yeah. off and he's really Hyder's good against the run too. too. And, and we haven't even talked about, you know, a healthy Jamal Adams is an elite run defender as a box Absolutely. safety. And we haven't even mentioned that we've, we've talked now for how long and we haven't even mentioned, uh, guy that was a first round pick last year and and played really well down oh, the man. stretch who's who's an elite run defender um 
you know, that's his ceiling anyway and his upside. And those guys, I, I think that that defensive line is going to be good enough and technically sound enough to, to occupy guys. And, and if they play good assignment, smart football, those two guys are going to clean up a lot of that stuff and, and really a lot of, of tackles. Yeah, of course. Right. Wow. Okay. Is there any topic that, uh, that you guys have left on a list that we haven't talked about yet? I think we covered it. Jordan Brooks, I wanted to talk about a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited to see Jordan I Brooks have... in the second year. Hold on to a second. Oh, yeah. Where he's not thinking about playing football anymore, but he's just yeah. reacting because mm-hmm. that speed is going to really come out. I just, I'm excited. Yeah. The team's speed on defense this in. year, I think, yeah. is up a notch e- easily, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jordan Brooks was, was one of mine. Um, and really, it, was, it wasn't just Jordan Brooks, Brooks, but it's life without KJ. Because um, yeah. KJ Wright had, you could just go watch the tape. He looked slow. There's a reason why he's out there and, and unsigned is he had one of his best years statistically. Um, he's still one of the best linebackers at sniffing out a screen mm-hmm. in the history of the NFL. I mean, just straight up, he's really, really good at that. Um, but he, he looked slow. He looked at times, he looked like a defensive lineman out there trying to, trying to run and cover and it, it wasn't pretty. Um, and instead you've got Jordan Brooks who is really athletic and really fast. Um, and so athletically, I think it's a huge step up, but you talk about the instincts of KJ Wright and the leadership um, that yeah. he brought to that defense. And those are things we, they may not um they not, may not be able to replicate and, and replace um, without him. So life without KJ is, you know, it's, that's something that this defense is going to have to work on. And I think it's not necessarily been discussed enough of just the impact that KJ Wright had um, outside of his stats. And I do, uh, I do think that yeah. the team is, is purposeful in this choice. In that KJ Wright this year, Bobby Wagner next year or the year after, because yeah. KJ, or Bobby's going to remain very expensive, I believe, at least through another contract. And his impact is legit. And so we'll have the same conversation at some point with Bobby Wagner. Like, what? <laughs> so I, so I think, you know, they're transitioning on, on the, on the linebacker roster to develop Daryl Taylor, to get Jordan Brooks in there. So that the yeah. transition, you know, later on with Bobby is felt less. And they still feel good about Cody Barton and, and drafted him where they did for a reason. I, I love the word you use there uh, purposeful. Cause I was going to make a similar point. I'm them not signing KJ right back to this point. And, and the chance of him playing some games as a Seahawk in 2021 is not zero. You know, if there's an injury, I think he's the first phone call that they make. Um, but by not paying him when when he was trying to get market value, simply because of nostalgia, which so many fans are screaming at them to do, pay the man whatever he wants, that's never the way I want my football team to manage their roster. And they set out, when they signed him to that two-year deal three years ago, it was structured in such a way, the plan was to not, he wasn't going to see the second year of that deal. That's very true. But he, he, played, he played himself so into well. Yeah, absolutely. And he, and he earned it, and there was a need. And then, and then it was definitely okay. That's it, and we're going to make other plans. And they've stuck to that plan. And I think, I think that's a, a smart way to to build a football team. Even though you know, Mister Joe Fan at home might not like it because he has a KJ Wright jersey 
in his and no disrespect to the actual Joe fan. No, not, not Joe fan with two ends, Joe fan with one end. Um, so you look at, at that and, um, you look at three other top picks in the last couple of years, you've had, you know, Cody Barton, um, Daryl Taylor and Jordan Brooks. They've drafted guys to play linebacker. Um, I think Cody Barton hasn't quite worked out the way they hoped, but, um, and don't forget your starting strong side linebacker, Ben Burkirvan. No. (laughs) I, I, I intend to forget him. Um, but uh, you they've made a point to mix things up at linebacker. They, they've been yeah. drafting uh, in with uh, with purpose to try and get younger and get faster uh, at that position. And you know we're, we're this year we're gonna see some of the uh, results of that. I still think yeah. that Jordan Brooks is the long term, uh, heir to uh, the legacy of to Bobby. Uh, Bobby Wagner. Yeah. And, but that means they're going to have to find another starter unless um, Cody Barton takes that jump and, and shows that he can handle, you know, the, the traditional KJ Wright role. Um, yeah. So it's, it, it is what it is, but yeah, they've reached a point where they're like, okay, you know, we, they didn't, they were like, we didn't, um, we didn't do the safety position well in terms of getting uh that you know evolution of, of different players well but we're going to fix and we're not we're going to make sure we don't screw it up at linebacker and so they're being very uh intentional in in the way that they go about this and then getting you know those three guys that i mentioned in getting them reps getting them uh experience before the other players um you know move on is definitely the plan I have a quick question for you guys. So what is it about a Pete Carroll defense that puts so much value on its linebackers and safeties versus maybe interior defensive line or whatnot? Like, is this a common thing around the NFL for, oh, no. for folks that are listening or is this specific to Could this it be defense? as simple as the fact that he played safety in his, in his college, you know, his small college career and that that was his position. I mean, you know, guys tend to think from the perspective of what their experience is, right? And and he was a secondary guy first and a secondary coach first when he started his coaching career. And and maybe that's just the way he's wired and he thinks from the back to the front. Well, a lot of a lot of NFL teams are, you know, they're they're built around their defensive ends and cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the outside. And that that's you know, kind of the traditional, um I say traditional, but that's the mainstream um, way to build a defense right now. And Pete Carroll's built this defense from the beginning around safety and uh, linebacker, which is weird. Um, part of it, I think, is a, you know, it's a market um, inefficiency. And so you've got impact um, guys that you can draft a little bit later and get, you know, tremendous uh, talent and stuff. And so there, there's been a little bit of that. Um, and part of it is philosophy within the defense. This defense is built around coming up and making the tackle, you know, the, yeah, go ahead. You're not beating us over the top where you're going to, you're going to have to hit that three yard check down in the passing game. And guess what? We're going to come up and make the tackle at four yards and you're not going to get a first down that way. Um, and to do that, you've got to have great safeties and linebackers who can come up and make that tackle every time. 
Um, and since that's the philosophy, uh, you're not building around your corners and defensive ends. You're building around your safeties and linebackers who will make that tackle instead of the guys that will get the sack or, um, you know, per the great cover guy that forces the, uh, the, the, the check down and that kind of stuff. So um, I, I do think it's just, it's just a philosophy and, and the way that the, the scheme is built uh, more than anything. Um, but it is definitely out of the norm for the NFL. It's an interesting question because, you know, clearly it goes back all the way to his USC days. When you think of those teams, did, you know, mm -hmm. what, who were his biggest name stud, all American high draft pick players on defense? They weren't defensive linemen as a rule. They were, you know, play Matthews, Cushing and Matthews and right. guys like that. And, and that's, that's kind of what he built the defense around back then too. So that was a philosophy he brought with them. It's, it's, um, you know, as with anything else with Carol, it probably goes back to his early influences and he's been very loyal to those things he learned early on. Well, I mean, he's a, um, he's a, uh, Monty Kiffin, um, uh, disciple, uh, defensively. And, you know, that's the, the old Tampa two cover two, um, you know, origins, which we, the, the Seahawks don't play. I mean, they use the odd front, but they, you know, play cover three, but, um, you know, those defenses were built around uh, their linebacker, especially the middle linebacker, because yeah. they had, you had, it was so, it was so, um, it, there's so much pressure on the middle linebacker in that defense to um, be perfect and be incredible um, in order for that defense to work. And that's why you see guys like Brian Erlacher just like. Mm, that's um, the name that was popping into my head as you were that, talking. You know, like you have to have a guy like that to make that, that old um, defense work. And, and with the emphasis of being on that guy, uh, it just, I think there is that um, thing that just goes forward. Now the Seahawks play a different defense. Do they have to have, you know, an all world middle linebacker in order to make the, the cover three work? No, they don't. You have to have an all world free safety in the back. Um, uh, but yet here's Pete with the all world middle linebacker and Bobby Wagner. Um, and, and so the, he knows he's, he's got it and he uses it, uh, in, in different ways. But, uh, I, there is that you, if you're going to run that old Tampa two, um, which nobody does anymore, it's essentially, uh, dead in the league at this point, but you had to go get, you had to overdraft and, and go get that superstar middle linebacker, which it wouldn't work. And, you know, I mean that, and that's, that was who Pete Carroll learned to coach under. Is that so? The emphasis would come from that, and so I, I think it is a product of that. Awesome. Well, let's get out of here, guys. We've been talking for a while. The great conversations. I mean, uh, you guys have just been fabulous with this with this conversation and these topics and stuff. And uh, talk about knowing everything. It's like <laughs> just off the top of your head, you guys come up with with all of this stuff. It's just amazing to me. Um, so thank you so much, Dan. Thank you for coming in. Uh, tell everybody what's going on uh, with your show, uh, what what you've got planned. I know that we're going to do the live show in, in yeah. July. We can remind folks about that again, if you'd like. And, um, and tell people where we can find you as well. Thank you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever, first and foremost. Love the interaction there and follow me there. Um, the show I've kind of, it's been great coming on talking Seahawks with you guys. Uh, cause I've, I've kind of been on a hiatus, haven't done a show in about a month. Uh, I've just been really, really busy with some other things and it's kind of a dead part of the season. Um, I will be recording a show here 
in the near future with uh, Eric Briggs talking about uh, kind of a Mariners offseason check-in and where they're at with their rebuild, how aggressive should they be in trying to win the second half of the season, and what's the status of uh, their general manager, Jerry DePoto, and their manager, Scott Service. So uh, I will be bringing the show back over the next few days. Uh, keep your eye out for that and follow me on Twitter. And then I'm, I'm so excited about the live show. Um, we're we're going to have a lot of fun with that. We really want a bunch of you to get out there to Aussies on July 19th um, for their happy hour. Feel free to come earlier. Get yourself loosened up. Get yourself ready for the for the show. We're going to record live. We'll take questions if you have them. We're going to give away some stuff. We it's going to be a like a bit. WWE event. Yeah, uh, I would look. love that. The more, the merrier, right? <laughs> and uh, I will say this: uh, one of the things we're going to give away is uh, two tickets. I'm going to give away my two tickets, uh, my season tickets to the Seahawks preseason game on August 28th against the LA Chargers. Uh, it's a you have to be there game. in person. You have to, to be there in person to win. Um, so keep your keep your ears out for more details as they come on all three of our Twitter feeds and our shows moving forward. Uh, oh, and the show is the Emerald City Sportscast, and you can find that on uh, all of the post- podcast platforms as well as um, all live streaming at the time too. Thank you, Dan. So, yeah, so Keith, uh, what's what's going on? What are you what are you doing? Uh, like. On a, on a weekly basis now, you're not yelling at kids. Uh, I'm never <laughs> yelling at kids. Um, That's, I'm not, that is true. You're not. I'm not. Type. I'm not blowing stuff up now that I'm. Uh, now that we're we're officially on summer. Um, and that oh, is man. that's actually part of of what we do. We I, I've blown a lot of things up in my classroom, which is awesome. But um, I'm sure no, parents love to hear that. No, they do because it's fun, <laughs> and we take safety precautions. Uh, but my 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 room comes with a blast shield, doesn't yours? <laughs> nice. No, but uh, I'm officially on summer. I'm working on a move, and uh, you know, move switch into a new house, and and going through that rigmarole. And I'm running a business, and and I'm I don't know prepping for this Making show and beer. doing whatever we can. I am going to be I'm going to be actually brewing some uh, some hard cider uh, probably tomorrow. Nice. Um, I've got uh, six gallons of uh, cider that I squeezed a couple of years ago. Um, you know, uh, just that it was, you know, they were apples and then it's been in a freezer. And so I'm going to pasteurize that and, um, and get that brewing. And then afterward, I've got a, um, I, I, I need another batch of my vanilla bourbon porter. I'm out. Um, and so that's, I've, that's I'm, so good too. I'm uh that I have I have to go get that. So um, are you let me ask you this. Are so by the time I get there in July, are you are you gonna be moved yet? Are you still in the same house? I think you're still in the same place, right? Still in the gonna, same place. Right. Yeah. So um we'll have to we'll have to have a barbecue and I expect some of of whatever you've got in uh, your refrigerator at the time. The um feel free to bring a growler uh on the nineteenth. <laughs> no, the, well. the the porter won't be ready by then. It takes it takes three months. Okay. Um but I can, I can have your priorities, Ben, you know, come on. Um, but I, I will definitely have the cider available. Um, I might have an IPA available by then too. Ooh, IPA nice. actually, that sounds refreshing they at, at that point in the summer. I'm all about that. They don't take time. And I'm actually, I'm thinking about, um, uh, brewing a Kolsch as well, which for that time of summer, oh, nice. that hot. Yeah, cold, for sure. Um, and so, and those, again, those don't take a lot of conditioning time. So if I can get, um, one of those two brewed, then definitely I'll bring a growler up. Um, 
Ozzy's isn't going to be uh, against me, you know, bringing beer in and having <laughs> you try it when they're serving. Are they? uh, yeah, <laughs> that's literally illegal. We are so. putting you behind. The, <laughs> we are putting you behind the curtain, right? <laughs> so let's not do that. There, you know, as long as it's in a red solo cup, I think we should begin. Right. So <laughs> I used to throw people out of that establishment for doing stuff like that. So <laughs> nice. Love to see Keith let's not thrown out, thrown on out a during our own podcast. podcast. That would just be classic, hey, dude. No, you would, would set your reputation up for years that would be that you want to talk about you know free publicity let's do that and um get me Could go out my own my own podcast yeah. and then people will start tuning in just to see what it what it's about <laughs> that would be classic. hey let me keith keith let me ask you this so uh i'm in seattle obviously renton um mm-hmm. as we record this it's thursday they are projecting for saturday sunday monday but in specifically saturday sunday they are projecting the weather channel app this morning literally says it's going to be 108 degrees here this weekend. I have never in my lifetime growing up here seen those types of forecasted temperatures. So what does that mean? It's like 250 where you are. What's it going to (laughs) be down there this weekend as we, well, it's it's insane. Keith's in Vancouver. I'm in Phoenix. So we just saying for you, Keith. Well, yeah, well, they're, they're saying about the same, about, um, about unbelievable. Uh, 108. The difference is, is down here on the river. Like we get, um, yeah. wind that comes in, we get humidity that gets up. We've had this weird, like 70% humidity this year. Mm. Um, so even when it was like 84 and you're like, that's, that's great. And then you go outside and it's like, you're swimming. It's like so sticky and it, that's just, it's just unnatural. Um, but yeah, 108. I'm, uh, I'm I mean, like, even I'm Eastern Washington rarely sees mm. these oh, yeah. kinds of temperatures. This it's is crazy. Uh, yeah. It, even though it's dry here, it was a hundred, like I said, in my uh, response to your tweet earlier, Dan, uh, I said it was 108 by the time I got out of bed last weekend here in the, in the desert. And I kid you not, because that day it was, ended up being 120 degrees. You know how a uh, football team sometimes when they play in, you know, San Diego or Kansas city, it's a hundred degrees on the field and they change their uniforms at halftime. Mm, so I wear a, I wear a suit coat at work. And last night when I took that off, I kid you not, my dress shirt was soaking wet and it's only, it was only 90 degrees here yesterday. So I think Saturday night I'm, I'm going to bring a second shirt and I may have to do a halftime change <laughs> in the middle of my shift. That's funny. All right. We're going to get out of here. Hopefully I'll survive these, that. I love these we'll see you on the 19th. Antidote, antidotes. These are just <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Definitely come out to the show. If you guys are still listening to the show, this is an opportunity to, uh, to interact with us. We're going to take some questions, I think, from the, from the audience, a few questions. Uh, there's going to be a raffle. We're going to have some gift cards available um, uh, to, to win. Uh, Dan mentioned the two tickets to a preseason game in August. Uh, I'm sure there will be other things. There's going to be drink specials from Aussies and food specials. It's happy hour uh, traditionally at that time. Anyway, we're giving you guys plenty of opportunity to plan on a Monday afternoon to, to uh, get out of the office early or whatever your plans are. Come on down, have a great time, sip a beer with us, uh, join us for a live show, uh, special guests. Um, it'll definitely be worth your time and it'll be, uh, it'll be a great opportunity to meet us and for us to meet you guys as well. And uh, I'm sure I say that for all of us. So until next time, find Dan at Seahawks Forever on Twitter. Find Keith at Myers NFL. I'm at NWC Hawk. Our show is SeahawksPlaybook.com. 
and find us on any of your favorite podcast apps. And until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.